Asia Tech Podcast. Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. This is Asia Tech Podcast Stories. My name is Graham Brown. Joined today by John Artman, who happens to be the editor-in-chief of TechNote and also the co-host of the fantastic China Tech Talk podcast. John, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, greetings. Tokyo to Beijing today. We've got them covered. So what I want to talk <laughs> about, unpack a little bit of the world of China. I mean, I know there's a lot talked about, and I know you do a lot of myth-busting out there. So mm. we'll, we'll go down a few levels today and understand China a bit better, especially for those who are looking at the market and may not have sort of the benefit of, you know, presence in the market. So help them understand it a little bit. And, um, you know, talk about what's exciting, what sort of things you talk about on China Tech Talk. But let's put this into perspective, a bit of context here, John. You've been in China for a number of years now. You're not a Johnny come lately. How long have you been in Beijing? So um, actually, so March uh, 2008, so this this month actually marks my, my 10th year. Oh, wow. Um, I came in 2008. Um, in March 2008, and and it's funny because a lot of people say, "Oh, well, you you, you came because of the Olympics." And actually, no, I I actually have um, very little interest in in the Olympics in general, um, and certainly that wasn't the the big reason that I came. I mean, a lot of it had to do with timing. Mm. I actually, um, it's a bit of a long story, but I'd actually applied for um, an English teaching job uh, late 20. Excuse me, let me think of like a late 2007. Um, and then it just took, it took a few months to kind of get everything squared away, um, to actually get, ho- get over here by, uh, early, early 2008. So, uh, Ten I've been years. in Beijing this entire time, but, um, you know, I traveled in, in China once in 2004 and then again in 2006 with, uh, with my university. Um, I minored in Chinese. And, you know, graduated, had no idea what I was going to do. And my uncle uh, gave me some sage advice and said, John, just go to China and see what happens. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. Thank you, John's uncle. That was sage advice. So you've been (laughs) here 10 years. Congratulations, John. It's interesting that you came to China speaking English or sorry, teaching English. That was your intention, right? I mean, I came to Tokyo in 1995, a little bit older. A little bit more carbon dated, <laughs> but that was the thing back in ni- back in the nineties. If you were graduating, and like yourself, you didn't really have a, a set plan or concrete idea of what you wanted to do, but you wanted to go and see the world. It was Japan back then. That was the thing to yeah, do. Sure. If you're going, but now it's all changed. Obviously, well, was that sort of part of the master plan? And obviously, you come to China before, but mm-hmm. what was it about China that you thought, "Yep, yeah, I've got to get there"? Well, it's it's funny because I think I think you know it's um. First experiences are very are very formative. Um, you know, first uh, first sexual experience, first uh, whatever experience. I think it, it's really kind of interesting how that really kind of shapes your expectations. And um, and so for me, coming to China was actually my first experience outside of the United States, mm. um, and it was uh, overwhelming. Um, it was uh, bewildering. I think I I, I kind of um, I lied to myself a little bit at the time that I wasn't going through uh, culture shock, but but I look I look back at it now, and and I, I think maybe it was like a atypical kind of culture shock, or at mm. least delayed, maybe even delayed onset culture shock. But um, but when you know when I came here and the first the first little bit, it felt it felt like I was coming home, like it felt like I came mm. to a place where. Um, where I should be. Uh, and then I came back in, in 2000. And so that was 2004. And then 2006, I came back again 
And that feeling was even stronger. But that being said, you know, it, it's funny because I never actually planned on on living in China. I graduated university, got a job. It was a it was a high stress job at a um, at a mental health facility for 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 uh, for children. Quit. Had no idea what I was going to do. I was talking with my with my uncle, whose name is John as well, and he said, "John, like, look, you know, I, I used to live in Beijing. I can help you um, get a job there. You speak Chinese." And, you know, you could just kind of mess around for, for however long you wanted, or you could go to China and, and ride the wave. Mm. And, and those are almost verbatim his words, except for a few um, expletives. But, um, you know, I think, I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, you're asking me about a master plan. I would say that my kind of MO is never to really have a master plan. Right, just kind right. of, I, I'm, I'm learning how to, how to plan a little bit better and how to set goals. And that's, that's quite energizing. Um, but for me, it's just kind of I do what I'm interested in. Right. That right there at that time, that all made sense. I'm curious. You said about coming home. That was interesting. I mean, that sort of struck me. Mm. What what exactly was that? Because how, how could you call that coming home when the language? I mean, I know you spoke Mandarin Chinese, yeah. but the language is unfamiliar in a sense and the people and the culture and what was homely about that to you yeah I, that's that's actually a really good question i think it's it's really difficult for me to pinpoint um why specifically but certainly um that was that was the feeling you know in in mm. When I first came to China, I'd only been studying Chinese for a year, and so my spoken really wasn't very good. Of course, you know my my Chinese teachers in in Suzhou at the time they, um, you know, as as Chinese people can be, they 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 were very encouraging and, and very flattering. But I, I know I I mean I know how it really was. Right. Um, you mean they were being polite. Very very polite. Very very <laughs> polite. And I've never been to Japan, so I don't know it. But I but I hear that Japan right, is right. Uh, similar, even more polite. Yeah. But um, yeah, I guess it's 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 hard to say because I mean I've always been interested in, in Eastern philosophy. Very early on in university, I was exposed to um, Indian philosophy and and uh, and Buddhism, and then that kind of dovetailed into. And after I'd actually started learning more Chinese, I started looking more into Chinese philosophy. And so you know now I'm at the point where um, you know if 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 you were to ask me you know like what do you believe in or like are you religious and I would say, no, I'm not really religious. But if I had to classify myself in terms of a belief system, mm. I would say that I, I lean more towards uh, the Taoist or kind of ancient Chinese um, view view of the world. So in the, in in the um, in the strain of you know the Tao Te Ching or or the Yi Jing. And I was very lucky to have a, a good friend of mine in in Beijing. He's he's since moved uh, to the states where his uh, his wife is from but uh, he's an australian guy who's uh, who's half chinese half australian and he was here in 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 beijing teaching chinese medicine um and so you know kind of combining all these interesting things and and i think that so on on the one hand i i i'm very much american um i think that's that's what i've one of the things that i've i've learned over the years is that it's very been very difficult for me to kind of shake off um some very American ways of looking at the world and some very American um, expectations. But philosophically, uh, I think I resonate very well with um, Chinese culture or, mm. or maybe even Eastern culture to a certain degree. Right. So uh, you mentioned things, I mean, the concepts like Taoism and the philosophical concepts, which I guess go back hundreds, but thousands of years, maybe in some yeah. cases, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, obviously it's made a, it's made a strong impression upon you that, that that part that you talked about, your American viewpoint on all of that, 
how, is that something that you still wrestle with? Because I mean, yes. I'll put it into context with me. I mean, I'll be honest. It's like, you know, sometimes I walk around Japan and, and uh, you know, like somebody's walking my way and I'm, I'm thinking I, I have a right to walk here undisturbed, you know, undisturbed. I have a right for peace of mind and peace of like quiet and all those kind of things, which I think if you go to Asian societies, that idea of individual rights to, or privileges about certain things change. And I'm always having to sort of check myself and think, just mm. shut shut the hell up, you know? It's <laughs> like, just let's start walking around like you've got these rights and privileges because nobody gives a shit. I mean, how right. about yourself? Do you sort of find yourself keeping yourself in check or do you find that it's sort of something that you're well in control I mean, of? I mean, I'm back and forth, I would say. Um, you know, I've always had a bit of a quick temper. Um, and I think that if you ask my wife, she'll probably tell you that I still have a quick temper. Mm. And um, I think that's still that's still very true. Um, I mean, it's like, so I, I, I have an electric bike and I ride my electric bike almost every single day. Um, it tops out it tops out at about um, 47 kilometers per hour. So not not too fast, but certainly not slow. And, you know, I think that on the one hand, I've um, really embraced Chinese traffic norms. It's 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 kind of it's really interesting. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but the, the it, everything is very fluid. You know, there mm. are there are lines on the road, and and in general, people kind of sort of follow them. But you know, I was back in the states for 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 Christmas um, just recently, and one of the things that I noticed is that people rigidly yeah. follow yeah. traffic traffic law, and, and for good reason. You never know when a cop's going to be around the corner. It's going to give you a ticket, put points on your license. You know, maybe get like two, $300 fine or something like that. You know, it's, it's a big deal. Um, in, in China, there's, there's really no, no visible traffic cops. If there are traffic cops, they're there literally to direct, mm. direct traffic. The only real, uh, traffic enforcement is, uh, traffic cameras. But anyway, so I guess my, 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 my point is, is that, you know, on the one hand, I've really kind of embraced the fluidity of Chinese traffic and the idea that, I can go basically wherever I want as long as I'm not going too slow or as long as I'm not, you know, um, doing anything really stupid. Uh, but there are times where like, you know, you know, this, this kind of the, I guess a principled self, if, if you yeah, will, yeah. kind of jumps out and says, why are you doing that? And you're not supposed to be doing that. And I'll start yelling at people. Um, or, you know, in English, of course, not, it's, it's easier to, to, yeah, to yeah. Say, say bad words in English than it is in Chinese. But yeah, so I guess that's kind of, that's kind of how, how I, I, I tend to think about it. And also with communication. I mean, like, you know, I work for, um, a Chinese company. My boss is Chinese. Um, all of our, all of our executives are Chinese. My, my counterpart on our, on our Chinese website is, is Chinese. I think you know when I was at when I was doing doing radio at uh, China Radio International, all my colleagues were Chinese. But I would say I still have a lot to learn when it comes to communicating with Chinese people. Mm. My my wife is Chinese, and I think that she's she's very um, she's been very uh, adaptive um, to to how I express myself and, right. and, and how That's I. That's very um, diplomatic, John. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, so it's, it's just funny because, you know, I always, um, talk to, talk to different people and, um, you know, we're talking about how they deal with Chinese communication and stuff like that. And I always learn something. I always, I always pick up a bit, a a tip or an idea of like, oh, why am I not doing that? That makes so much sense. We choose to put ourselves in these situations. That's the key, isn't it? I mean, that we choose to put ourselves in an unfamiliar situation where, Mm. You know, I mean, it's interesting you talk about your principled self that, that wants to jump out and sort of prove everybody wrong. I mean, I, I suffer from that badly because I'm a cyclist as well. So, you know, right. we get the worst of all traffic. I don't have an electric cycle like you. I'm, okay. I'm a bit more exposed. Yeah. And I'm always sort of, you know, like you said, the, the traffic rules like here in Japan are very much guidance as opposed to rules, right? 
Interesting. So I'm always, you know, I'm always finding myself shouting. I mean, when, interestingly, when I came to Japan first, I was, I asked my wife, like, look, teach me how to say this, you know, and I wouldn't repeat it on, on air now, but, you know, teach me how to say this. And she's like, why do you want to learn that? It's like, I need to say that next time somebody does this to me or cuts me up. Then I'd like you, I'd learn, actually, it's probably better you say it in English because they don't know what the hell you're saying. It's just like this foreigner just shouting at them. And they're exactly. Thinking, okay, it's just a strange exactly. foreigner. Carry on. Exactly. So we've got to learn. We've got to adapt. Okay. That's all part of it. I mean, do you find that, you know, you've been in China 10 years now, so you've obviously, you know, you survived and thrived and you, you've lived outside of your comfort zone. Do you think that's, yeah. is that sort of what distinguishes the people that, that can't make it? Because a lot of people come to Asia and they struggle, don't they? Whether they sort of do the backpack around Thailand thing or, you know, try and set themselves up here. Yeah. You, you must see people come and go. Yeah. I mean, so certainly, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've only ever lived in Beijing, but, uh, but I think in general, the Chinese expat community um, is quite, um, quite turbulent. It's, I, I, I know, I know I mean, I've been lucky enough to, to settle down with a, with a great um, Chinese woman, but I know, you know men and women who have a hard time kind of maintaining yeah. longer-term relationships with, with foreigners. But I would say, I mean, I would say that there's, 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 there's a spectrum, and I, I'm not I'm certainly not the most adapted. Um, I have some friends who um, I really admire their ability to to really immerse themselves in Chinese culture, who you know just dove right into Chinese cuisine, and and who in, in a lot of ways you know they they surround themselves with kind of I mean still still quite young culture, but but very very Chinese in a way. Mm. Whereas for for myself, I mean I yes I've been here for ten years. I've I've learned the language. Um, I have. An appreciation for for the, the the culture, but at the same time, you know, I still prefer Western food. Um, really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I mean, I've so it's it, yeah, it's it, I'll, maybe I can get into that in a second, but um, I still prefer Western food. Uh, most of my friends are non-Chinese. What, so one of the great things about living in China is that the expat community here, there's just so many different types of people. Right, and yeah. so that's been really great. Um, so some of my best friends are Canadian, French, um, Australian, German. And so that's been really great. Um, but I, I mean, just, 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 I'm just going to be honest. I don't actually have that many Chinese friends. Hmm. Um, I have people that – I have Chinese people that I enjoy seeing sometimes, um, but I wouldn't call them – a good friend, if 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 mm. that makes sense. And so, like I said, there's there there's a spectrum, and and I think that um, that there there are people who have adapted more than I have and really immersed themselves, uh, and there are people, as you say, who have a very difficult time doing that. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I've I I you know as I've moved around a lot when I was a kid, so I think adaptation and kind of figuring out my niche and kind of figuring out where I'm comfortable and and where I fit is something that that comes very natural to me, and so that's. I guess how I explain it, but yeah. I certainly, I certainly wouldn't hold myself up as you know the uh, the pinnacle of adaptation to uh, no, Chinese no, no. living. No, 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 exactly. I don't think that's something that we aspire towards. But that whole thing about moving around a lot, and we talked off air a little bit about this. Yeah. I was, I was quite impressed by how many places you had lived, and I think we only got <laughs> up to like twelve, thirteen in your history. But I wonder because that. I mean, I moved around. I did sort of four or five schools in my teens, and I, I wonder how mm. that sort of impacts you in later life because i always thought you know if you sort of are especially when you're a teen or you're young before you've really sort of got an understanding of who you are that sort of situation where you walk into school and you're the new boy and everybody's looking at you yeah. like all right you know we can bully this guy or you know they, they sort of size you up don't they mm -hmm, having to mm -hmm. adapt in that situation what sort of skills does that equip you with because you must get very good at reading social situations fast 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of it, I mean, is just watching and observing. I mm. think before before acting, um, and 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 kind of as you were saying, you know, figuring out what are the norms, uh, what what's the. I mean, I think that. I mean, I've done a quite a, I mean, quite a few different things in 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 my career this so so far, which I'm actually very proud of. But I think that that really is just. I mean, a lot of times it's just a question of learning the vocabulary, uh, learning learning the words that people use, and 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 watching how they use them, how they relate to each other, so how the people are relating to each other, how they're talking with each other, and kind of, and again, kind of figuring out you know what what who 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 people are. Mm. What are they yeah. interested in? What are they not interested in? If I want to talk to someone, okay, how do I catch their interest? And yeah, and I think that that's maybe one of the reasons why I've kind of taken to the Chinese language to a certain degree as well, because, you know, I, like I said, I've, I've, I've worked in mental health. I mean, so my, my, my degree was psychology and philosophy, mm. but, um, but I've worked in mental health. You know, I've worked in, in, in radio media. Uh, I've worked in a, um, a medium-sized localization company, you know, and and so learning the language of, of business and management, and and now you know I, I'm working in uh, online media and and in in kind of the startup entrepreneurial world, and the vocabulary used in each of these situations is going to be very very different, but I would say the key for me is really kind of finding people that I know I can trust, and I would say on the one hand it's easy for me to identify people who I cannot trust, mm. um, and on the other hand. It's it's actually difficult to find people that I can trust. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, this is fascinating. I did. Uh, I was a psychology major as well. Okay. So, and I, I mean, one thing that fascinated me about psychology was I was always curious why, you know, what motivated people, what what were sort of people's behaviors, what went on in on the inside, and I think that sort of comes from that that history of always being on the outside. Mm. And, and trying mm. to learn fast. There's a word here in Japan. I don't know what the equivalent would be in Chinese, but we say gaijin, which trans- sure. I don't know what what is it in Mandarin. There must be a sort of it'd be, it'd be a, a, a or or the um, the affectionate term is lawai. Uh, okay, so in Japanese, it actually, I mean the characters, I suppose, are the same, aren't they? Because it comes from Chinese. It means mm, outside mm, person, right? Exactly. And exactly. they'll actually call you like oh gaijin san, like they like. <laughs> indirectly mr gaijin <laughs> you know like whilst they're talking to japanese people oh, wow. talking about you in the third person like you're in that conversation oh mr gaijin said this you know mm-hmm. that's not very polite but it's very conscious it's a very prominent part you talk about language you know and the importance of the vocabulary it sort of shapes people's thoughts is that you'll yes. always be gaijin you'll always be mm-hmm. an outsider it's not like we don't use that word foreigner so much in English, really, do we? I mean, it's not sort of a widely used term. You no, might be it, Spanish or American or whatever. And, it, and it's actually it's actually really funny because um, there have been times where I've been traveling with my family, and um, my 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 wife or or maybe my daughter will say, you know, oh look 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 at that foreigner, and I'm like. You, you realize that we're not in China, so right. that, <laughs> these people, this is this is their country. They're not foreigners here. <laughs> but <laughs> but basically, but basically, you I mean that 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 term? I think similar to Japanese, and I think this is true of of Korea as well. Is that there's a very strong sense of who is on the inside and yeah. who's on the outside. Right. If you're not Chinese, you're on the outside, um, and and so you're either Zhongguoren Chinese or you're Weiguoren. You're you're a foreigner. Mm. Does that bother you? Because we live in it this twilight, twilight world, really, don't we? Twilight zone, in a way, which is neither foreigner nor insider. We're, we're sort of in between. Is that yeah. a concern for you? Do you? How do you adapt to that? Um, well, yeah. I mean, I think that it's it's um, it used to bother me a lot. It used. I mean, it's funny because again, like I said, the the term "law why" it's um, it's an affectionate term. 
right. or it's a t- or it's um, a diminutive term, if you will. So like a, like a nickname or or something like that. Mm. And so when when a Chinese person uses that term, they don't mean anything negative by it. Right. Um, but there was there was a period of time where I took a bit of offense at that. Now I've realized that that taking offense at something like that is 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 pretty childish because you're never going to change their behavior, and at mm. the end of the day, their intention is is benign. So, so, but in terms of being an outsider, I mean, like, I think, you know, you, you can probably relate. I've always been an outsider mm, yeah. and, and actually I've, I found that I'm very comfortable being an outsider and, and people ask me all the time, do you want to go back to the States? When are you going back to the States? Are you ever right, going right. to move home? And so on and so on. And whenever I think about it, I just kind of start getting super anxious. Um, you know, looking at all the, um, the cultural debates, um, the identity politics, mm. the extreme, viewpoints of people on the right and people on the left and the 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 fundamental inability or unwillingness of people to really talk about things i think would um eventually drive me completely insane uh, <laughs> or you know push me into into you know a, 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 um an emotional state of being that i would not i would not want to be in it's not good is it i mean especially i mean if you were in radio john and you had a call-in show in the states good luck to you mate that that would probably destroy you. But you think, <laughs> is humanity really like this? I'm not saying it's anything to do with the States. You'd get the same in the UK right. with all the Brexit yeah. and that. But, okay, I mean, that brings me to the point. You spent, what well, I mean, really impressed by your history working on China radio. So, mm, I mean, you. you know, that, to me, I mean, that's sort of like, okay, right, I'm not going to sort of mess around. I'm diving straight into this world now. So tell, tell us a little bit about that. So yeah, that was actually, so it's China Radio International, um, and I was actually working at the English service. Um, so all, all the programs that I was working on were, were in English. Um, but I think you know, it, was, it, was, it was a great opportunity. I think that you know, there, are, there are, of course, uh, quite a few uh, complaints that I can make uh, about, about working there. I mean, it is state-run media. Um, it is, um, you know, in, in a sense, a quite, uh, quite quote-unquote political. Mm. And, and what I mean by that, not necessarily in terms of... Um, you know, having to adhere to certain vocabulary or something like that, but but the, the organization itself was quite political. Um, I would say that, um, especially the the um, the people in charge, they're not there because they want to create great radio. They're there because it's uh, it's a stable position yeah, in, yeah. inside the government. So, but in, in general, I mean, it was a, it was. Um, I mean, this is the great thing about coming to China, especially when I did, is that. If you have the right mindset, if you are are open to trying new things, if you, you if you've never done something but you say, hey, you know what, this might be interesting, um, you just do it, and and half the time it's going to to work out pretty well. And especially, I think that you know, if you're coming in as a foreigner, um, working with Chinese people, it's super important to go in with a, with an open an open mind and a willingness to um, to communicate uh, and and to um, you know, to, to be, be willing to say, okay, I'm wrong. Or the way that I'm going about this is wrong. You know, being very practical about getting what you want in a sense. Mm. But I mean, so, so it was great. I mean, I, I had, I had done college radio, um, in, in university only for a short time. It was a, a music radio program and I, I'm not very good with music radio. So I did, so I did that in university and then I got a chance to do a part-time job at China national radio doing some English teaching program. And then a friend of mine was working in the uh, the copy editing department of uh, CRI, and she helped me get in touch with the hiring manager mm. um, and started off mostly doing pre-recorded packages and mostly about the internet, which was kind of interesting. Uh, that's really ha- kind of how I got started into tech. I mean, I've always been interested in technology and stuff, but um, in terms of uh, uh, professional, professionally, that's that's the first time. 
And then, so, you know, and then just kind of working my way up in a sense, um, getting a bit more responsibility, getting more time on air. And so, you know, starting off from just doing pre-recorded packages, I ended up doing a, uh, a weekend show, a pre-recorded weekend show. And then, um, I did a, uh, what was the co-host of a one hour, um, discussion show that was on every, every afternoon, every weekday afternoon. Um, and then my last year I was doing two live shows every day. Uh, one was in the morning, kind of headline news and discussion. And the second one in the afternoon was the same one, uh, one hour in the afternoon, uh, looking at, um, I guess the easiest way to describe it is Chinese social issues. So mm. kind of what, what are people talking about online? What, what is the Chinese media talking about? What's the latest controversy? And, and for me, at least trying to insert a bit of reason uh, into, into some of these, some of these debates. Um, and I think that it's, it's, that was kind of the most fun part, I think, is really kind of challenging my co-hosts, uh, challenging my guests and challenging their, their perspective and kind of, and also kind of defining for myself what, what's a good, structure for thinking. Uh, and I would say that, you know, those six years, again, certainly I, there's, there's stuff to complain about, but at the end of the day, I think, you know, I, I'm super grateful for that opportunity and I'm super grateful to, to all of my, uh, all of my coworkers mm. for giving me that chance and, and working with me because to be honest, I wasn't always the easiest to work with. Either. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, well done you for being honest as well, but th those years that you were really in a fantastic vantage point position, really to watch the growth of China and the tech you know, the internet, especially the tech ecosystem, like if you, mm. you know, those formative years when it all was emerging, when the world oh, still totally. yeah. didn't know, I mean, the no, I mean, they're only sort of finding out now really outside of Asia. I mean, they're only sort of starting to get familiar with Jack Ma's funny face and Alibaba and all that <laughs> sort of, I mean, th this is now sort of like me mainstream media, isn't it? But, you know, like back then, nobody could have named a, a Chinese company that was sort of famous globally outside of Asia, right? So you saw all that happening. That must have been a really exciting time. What was it like way back at the beginning when you were doing the radio shows? What sort of things were you talking about on the tech side? Well, again, I mean, I think, I mean, I think, I mean, as as you say, um, I, there for me at least, there wasn't this sense of that 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 this is like the beginning of something. Um, for me, it was it was very much of. I mean, for, I mean, I, I came in with 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 no knowledge, um, and so a lot of it was, you know, going to conferences, uh, meeting people, um, trying to figure out what's what. And I, and and to be honest, I mean, like my so my at the time, like my feet were kind of in in both areas, both in the office and kind of out in the field, mm. more and more so in the office, I would say. So I, I would say, I mean, back then, you know, there wasn't this sense that this was going to be something big. It's just like, wow, this is super interesting. For me, I mean, a lot of my uh, tech watching in in China watching has been more about okay I want to understand how these things are going to affect me, and so from from that sense it was never like wow this is going to become big I need to make sure that that I'm on the ground level it's it was more like I want to be able to use these applications I want to mm. be able to buy a smartphone you know uh, like my first phone was a Xiaomi phone right when when iPhone when iPhone 3G was first officially launched in China. I mean, I couldn't afford one of those mm. uh, because it was super expensive. And so when Xiaomi launched their their phone, it was a big deal for, for me and my wife and a bunch of my friends because finally we could actually have a smartphone that that operated on on, on the 3G network. And so so yeah, I mean, again, again, I mean, a lot of it's just kind of been about uh, understanding how this affects me and and then also broadly speaking, how, how it affects um, Chinese society, which is kind of what we're trying to do uh, with Technode and with China Tech Talk is mm. educate and, and understand first ourselves and then educate our, our, our audience about what what we think is, is going on. Yeah, I mean, there's so much in there, isn't there? I mean, the, 
you're talking about Chinese society as well. I mean, that again, it's so vast as well. And there's so many yeah. different things going on to speak, you know, as one voice as well. It, it's important to understand that there's lots of different opinions going on there, right? So anybody sort of thinks of China as one sort of very vanilla market, well, you know, they're going to be surprised, aren't they? So, I mean, let's talk about bringing it up to speed now with China Tech Talk you do with Matt, right? Matt Brennan. I think that's, yeah. I mean, two of you together, that's the sort of the dream team for China and technology, <laughs> really, isn't it? Matt, obviously, is, you know, everything about WeChat, you need to know. He yeah. is in one brain there, right? What, what sort of things have you just, I mean, I've, I've listened to some really good episodes recently what sort of things you know do you really get off on if i can use those words in the sense that what mm. uh, we all kind of know i mean wechat's now something that we all understand outside of asia we've heard about it you know we've heard about alibaba are there any sort of like rifts that you you sort of you know go into great lengths about because you find them really exciting and the world hasn't really caught up on yeah so i think that, that i'm definitely you know um um, someone who thinks best by by speaking, and and it's one of the reasons that um, I love doing radio. I, I'm one of the reasons that I'm really enjoying talking to you right now, and and one of the reasons that I really love doing the podcast with with Matt is because, especially especially with Matt, who is I would say probably more knowledgeable than 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 I am, and like he's he's really he's super super in it. Yeah, yeah. Because you know his his clientele, um, his his um, his network is is much more local than, than than mine is, and so a lot of it, you know, is just is just about him and I having these conversations, having guests on as as well, but but also having conversations, um, listening to what he has to say and trying to. I'm trying to fit fit that information into my own mental model, because um, I would say that in the end, I mean, like Matt, Matt, this is kind of interesting how partnerships work, where where mm. one person is really strong in one area and the other person is strong in a different area. Because Matt, I think, is really good with with data and with kind of through traditional kind of analytical tools, understanding what companies are doing, why they're doing it, what how this is affecting the market and, and things like that. Whereas for me, I'm always kind of thinking about the bigger picture. You know, what is what does it look like? What does it look like in my head? Do would do do these pieces um, fit together? So my favorite moments are kind of those those epiphany moments where where Matt and I are talking uh, talking about something and I'll just be like, boom, wait a second. Does this actually make any sense? And so I right. can kind of bounce that bounce it off of Matt. But um yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that, that that we've been kind of looking into a lot recently is um, unmanned retail and in mobile mm. payments. Um, I think that, I mean, mobile payments is kind of the background to so much of what's what's happening these days, and and unmanned retail as well is is kind of really where a lot of the direct impact uh, is 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 going to be coming from this tension between basically Alibaba and and Tencent. Right. And so those kinds of discussions and, and discussions about, um, like, again, for me. I want to understand China. Um, I want to understand the culture. I want to understand the people. I want to understand um, the things that are that are shaping what China is right now. Um, and it just so happens that I'm mainly focusing on on um, the uh, on that through the lens of technology because I really do believe that you know tech you cannot ignore technology. Um, mm. And you know, every once in a while, I hear people say, "Oh, but you know, that's that's too technical," or or "Oh, I don't really understand that," or 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 something like that. I'm like, "Well, what's what's wrong with you? Yeah. Don't you want to learn how this stuff is affecting you? Don't you want to like be able to teach your kids and actually not be your parents when 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 you were growing up who had no idea what the internet was, who you know, who 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 tried to protect you from all the crazy stuff that happened? Of course, ineffectually because they had no idea what they're doing. And so that's that's really kind of how 
how I look at it. It's it's what I'm doing is is kind of studying the future, and that's kind of I guess what gets me off. Yeah, I mean, on this is fascinating. On, on that note, when you talk about, for example, mobile payments, I, I want to sort of bring up the objections, if I can use those words, that people have when they hear, you know, people like yourself talk about China and technology and you know, how th- things are advancing there. And I get this as well. When I post stuff about Asia matters and I talk about China, because obviously China is a massive part of the Asian market. Um, mm. And one of the objections that people come up with, and, uh, you know, I don't bother to go into too much detail about trying to um, trying to mollify the, the critics, if you like, because they're, they're not worth the time. But I think it's important that the, <laughs> the fans, if you like, understand, because that they're sort of in between, if you like. They need to understand mm-hmm. what's right and what's wrong. It's, the people talking about protectionism. And let's talk about WeChat as an example. Let's talk about payments, mobile payments, because obviously WeChat is very advanced as a payment system. I don't want to talk in depth about WeChat because Matt is the man really for that, yeah. right? But, yeah, and you can get that than exactly. You can get that from your podcast. But people say, "Oh, the reason why WeChat so advanced is because of protectionism." And then, okay, well, let's have a look at it in the wild, so to speak, in the wild of the free market. Let's compare WeChat and WhatsApp. What can you do right. with WhatsApp? Okay, and then people think, <laughs> uh, "Okay, I can have a group." <laughs> so, I mean, how do you deal with that? Because you must get that all the time. You are the the, the China tech talk guy. You obviously you've been on radio. You tech node. When you have those people from the outside and say, yeah, but, you know, it's because of protectionism. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I think that you, you, if you were to, I mean, you can't ignore protectionism. I think that there is a very strong case to be made that if Twitter, Facebook, Google, you know, a lot of the big tech companies from, especially from the States, if they were allowed a free hand in China, I do think that the landscape would be different. I don't, know exactly what that might look like because one of the reasons that WeChat, that Weibo, that Alibaba have been so successful is because they understand so well Chinese consumer psychology. I mean, you have to remember that, I mean, you know, Alibaba and, and Tencent uh, and, and Baidu, I mean, they've been around for a long, long time. You know, Tencent, their first, one of their first products was QQ. Um, and I think it just, just to go to just, it just shows how strong of a product is and how strong of a product team they have behind it is that it's still going strong. Uh, it's still a product. It's still, it's, it's still relevant for so many people. Um, it's just that, that WeChat is, is kind of made for the, the lowest common denominator. So yeah, I don't think that we can we can you know uh, discount protectionism, but there are some big big questions. Uh, you know, I mean, it might be make an interesting you know alternative alternative history novel. What if China mm-hmm. didn't block these uh, these services back in two thousand eight two thousand nine? Um, but I mean, you you look at the difference. Like so, for example, uh, when when Sina Weibo. So so when I say Weibo, I'm, I'm referring specifically to Sina Weibo because that's the only one left standing. Uh, when the um, the microblogging kind of Twitter like social network hit China uh, first, there was there was actually a few different uh, Weibo platforms. Um, one was Sina Weibo. Uh, Tencent did their own Weibo, and then Soho Weibo. Um, it turns out that Sina Weibo, because of their 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 media background uh, and their ability to um, kind of uh, pull in famous people and, and other people, um, kind of who uh, other public personalities onto their platform, they were able to uh, to win that. Um, but for the longest time, and even now, uh, Weibo, I mean, 
as a product, Weibo is superior to Twitter. Um, there's so many. There's so many things that. Uh, the Cena Weibo team done, done, especially at the beginning, that made it actually much more usable. Uh, the onboarding process was very smooth, um, and to a certain degree, it was it was. I mean, the the ability to actually have a more public conversation, um, or or to make that experience a lot smoother, they've always done a better job at that. Um, I would say that that as a as a as a platform, um, I think Weibo is is kind of. I mean. It, their biggest investor right now is Alibaba, and so you can definitely see how that's shaping the direction that the platform is going in, where a lot of a lot of the monetization at this point is um, about KOLs selling mm. stuff um, mm. and and things like that. But um, but I mean, a, as a product, I would say that WeChat is is superior to Facebook to to WhatsApp. Um, so here's so just sorry, just one 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 thing very quickly. So. Um, I recently installed Facebook Messenger on my phone to keep in touch with uh, with some friends, and I hadn't used, I hardly ever used Facebook, and I haven't used Messenger in 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 years, and it kept asking me to turn on notifications. Right. It keeps asking me to turn on notifications, and it's like, what the hell, man? Like this is so intrusive. It's it's aggressive and it's rude. But you know, WeChat they never ask you to do anything. They made it. It'll it'll ask you to. It'll like the when you first on the iOS at least when it first pops up when you first open it, mm. um, it'll it'll say you know turn. Do you want to turn notifications? Just like every other application, and then you either say yes or you say no. If you want to change it at some point, you can. But I mean, the the beauty of WeChat is that it's the people that you're connected with that keep pulling you in. Yeah. Whereas you know, looking back on on Facebook tactics, uh, LinkedIn tactics to kind of keep to kind of maintain stickiness, and and I would say it's it's much more. Um, artificially manipulative um, mm. than 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 WeChat is. We need to we need to sit them down with that old Aesop fable of the the sun and the the rain and the wind, right? I think they they can kind of learn a little bit from this. It's I wonder what, what is going on. Why is this? Why why is that? We have a situation with you know where WeChat has evolved. It really has sort of you know become a proper platform. You know, from going from chat to the internet, really in in one app. In many cases, you can you can do everything from you know renew your passport to pay for things, whereas you know WhatsApp has and Facebook Messenger haven't changed for years. Uh, just as an example, I digress a little bit, but um, I was just using it yesterday because I was booking my flights to China. John, I used a mm. TripIt. I don't know if you haven't used TripIt.com. I have never used it. No, I, I tell you, it's, it's I haven't logged in for about two or three years, but it's exactly the same as it was. 10 years ago they haven't changed the website and i thought wow i mean what's going on how is that i mean you take that to extend that to to whatsapp as an example and how is it that wechat have got it right and all these sort of chinese services seem to have evolved rapidly is it the chinese mindset is it the market is it the data what's going on yeah i mean it's 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 a lot of different things but i think that it's um the chinese internet i mean the Chinese economy, I think, in a lot of ways, is is a is a blue ocean, or or it has been up until probably recently. Um, it, it, we can talk about Chinese companies going going overseas, but one of the I think one of the main drivers of that overseas push is that the Chinese market in general, not just in terms of technology, but in general, um, it's 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 becoming um, much more competitive, or at least that's not the good way. It's it's become much harder to um, to grow. Right, crowded, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Crowded, exactly, exactly. It's it's a, it's a very crowded market, and so I think that's 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 the thing. And so so with Chinese, especially with Chinese tech companies, they've always been super fast. Um, so they they're super fast, super competitive. I mean, they're they're. I mean, 
it's funny because I think Matt and I, we had an episode about this um, um, late last year. You know, the Chinese, actually, no, the one, the one, the, the episode with Kaiser Guo, he used to be the yeah, um, yeah. international comms guy for, for, for Baidu. Um, yeah, he's doing Seneca. Um, but, you know, when, when, you know, when he was at Baidu, I mean, you know, the, the competitive environment was cutthroat. You know, you had like, um, and it still, it still happens to a certain degree as well. But I mean, in Chinese, they call it um, uh, black PR, where you have PR companies who go out and, and just um, spread false information in order to slander their, their, their competitors, mm. uh, doing so under the guise of a media. Um, and so I think that's kind of a, a good, a good um, kind of example of just how, how cutthroat, how aggressive you know, the Chinese market in general is. I mean, you know, you hear stories of uh, problems with food safety, of, uh, of safety issues. And one of, the, one of the reasons is because people are looking to grow their business to make as much money as possible as quickly as possible. Um, so you couple that, that kind of innate aggressiveness um, or, or um, competitiveness with the I think I think it's a bit of an East Asian thing. I'm not so sure about Southeast Asia, but I I noticed similar kind of trends in Japan and Korea where companies once they get to a certain size, they're always pushing to be a platform. Always mm-hmm. pushing to be as big as possible and to have as many fingers is in as many pies as possible. And so I think that 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 with with the Chinese um tech ecosystem you have the companies branching out into different areas in part because they want to be the main player. They want to be um, as big as possible to, to, to be in control of as much as possible. And part of that, I mean, a lot of that these days is defensive. Um, mobile payments is a, is, a, is a great example. I mean, you know, Tencent, for example, is going into offline retail. Why are they going into offline retail? Well, I think it's one of the big reasons is to protect mm. offline retail as a channel for their mobile payments. Um, I mean, if Alibaba were, you know, who, who had traditionally has owned the retail um, e-commerce space, you know, if they were to also do that offline, I mean, they're not going to allow, I mean, you're, you're not going to find WeChat payment options at a store that's controlled by Alibaba mm-hmm. and, and, and vice versa. Um, and so a lot of it these days, I think, especially what we see with uh, between Tencent and Alibaba, a lot of it's defensive. Um, a lot of it's uh, building that moat to make sure that they don't, you know, get blindsided, that they don't yeah. get disrupted by a, a powerful competitor. Yeah, it seems that they're they're going to great lengths to build out their ecosystems because a key, whether it's with the payment side, they want to collect that data. They want to have all that data about the user and be able to use that in different areas and. I suppose in a way, lock them in to a very competitive market because, you know, what can you do to prevent people sort of switching between platforms and switching between ecosystems and so on? Because it seems from my, I mean, I, I don't use this on a day-to-day basis, but you know better. It seems that the Chinese consumers aren't necessarily loyal to one particular, no, yeah. they, they switch around, they yeah. get the best deal that they can, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, my. I mean, so um, we have we have WeChat and Alipay. Um, I tend to use WeChat more often. Uh, my wife tends to use Alipay more often. Um, but basically, you know, part of it's part of its habit. I mean, what what's what's the easiest for you to use, um, or what has the the in general what has the most incentives? But as you say, I mean, I think that consumer habits, especially right now, they're very fluid. 
Um, and they may they may change over time, uh, but right now there's really there doesn't seem to be any strong preference that I've seen between WeChat and, and Alipay. Um, the biggest differences are going to be you know that that ten cent ten cent. So WeChat is a platform. It's a social platform, um, whereas Alipay it, they tried to build some social components um, to varying degrees of success. But at the end of the day, you know WeChat is kind of going to stay dominant as the central point for a lot of a lot of services um online to offline services uh whereas alipay seems to be relegated mostly only to payments mm. and you know it and you, you look at you look at the size of the companies you look at their their market caps and you know it's clear that tencent is is kind of leading the pack whether or not they're going to ultimately ultimately win which i think is a really interesting um scenario to kind of to kind of think about you know what if there is like a winner uh in in china um, I mean, Tencent. I think that if if there was if someone was to win today, it would be Tencent. I think. Uh, I think Matt would disagree with me. Um, but um, but the point, you know, Tencent is pretty dominant. And and this is what's super interesting as well. It's kind of broadening it out a little bit. Pony Ma, the founder and CEO of Tencent, mm. seems to be much more politically savvy uh, in Chinese politics than than Jack Ma is. In what way? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything about Pony Ma. I mean, I know Jack Ma, obviously. Well, exactly. He speaks English, right? And he's an English teacher yeah, previously. Yeah. But what, Pony Ma, apart from having a strange name, nobody really <laughs> knows about him outside of China, do they? Do we need to start knowing about him? Is he going to get out? Is, is he yes. sort of like a global figure? Uh, he's, not so much, he's, he's not so much a global figure, but I mean, Tencent, they, they, they have interests um, and investments in all, all over the world. Uh, mostly in social and in gaming, so uh, Riot Games, um, Epic Games. Um, they did that uh, stock swap with um, with um, what's it called? Uh, the music streaming service. Um, Spotify. Spotify. Yeah, they did the stock swap with Spotify. Um, they did a stock swap with uh, with Snap. Uh, so Tencent as a company is all over the place. Yeah. They it's it's kind of funny because Pony Ma he eschews the spotlight. Um, Tencent in a lot of ways they don't go. So Alibaba has great PR. Um, and, and I don't always mean in the sense of like, wow, I, I like their PR people. It's more like they, they know how to do PR and they're really good at it. They, they hire the right PR agencies uh, and they have good PR, PR workers um, in, in their company as well. Um, but, uh, but Pony Ma, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really kind of interesting how that works because, you know, Pony is very, um, he eschews the spotlight. You don't see him very much and the company isn't trying to attract that much attention. Whereas, uh, Jack Ma, you know, he's, um, always kind of putting himself out there, very willing to give speeches, very willing to go on TV. Um, you know, they recently did like this kind of silly, uh, Kung Fu short right. movie <laughs> yeah, with him. I saw it, it. Yeah. Yeah. For their, for their, for the annual meeting, he was, you yeah. know, dressed up as Michael Jackson and, and stuff like that. But yeah, Pony Ma definitely. I would say that someone, someone to to keep to keep an eye out on. I don't expect to find very much about him, mm. um, but he's 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 quite powerful. Yeah, I, I'm sure for listeners who are outside of China, especially outside of Asia, a lot of this is is you know they're trying to wrestle with this, you know, because again, you're talking about companies of size. You know, you're talking 250 billion dollar companies. People are trying to get their heads around it. If they're not used to it, it's come from nowhere. If you've been living in your sort of your your uh, you know your little world outside of China, wherever that may be, I mean, even Silicon Valley is pretty oblivious to what's going on here. Obviously, there's a lot happening now with people coming to Asia. So, what, what I want to do, I just want to put you on the spot a little bit here, John, if I may, ambush you in in a very 
kind way, a pleasant way, is that uh, that we get listeners, and I'm sure you do as well, people who listen to your podcast and think, I I want a part of that action. I want a piece of the action. I want to get into that market. It could have been a younger John, you know, when you were like 20 years old, thinking about heading to Asia. Mm. Could have been any of that. So 2018, people are thinking about coming to China, Asia, et cetera, et cetera. They want a part of the action. Maybe they're disenchanted with what's going on, like all the things that you mentioned about in the West and so on. They want the positivity and the vibe and the growth that happens really on 10x scale here in Asia. So I'm a young American, as you can hear from my accent, coming to (laughs) China um, because I want to check it out. I've got my backpack on like you came here in 2002, 2004, whenever, right? So, you know, I'm coming to China. Put together for me a three or five day, let's say three day itinerary. That may be not enough. Five day itinerary oh. to blow my mind. What should I see? I've got five days in China. I need to have my mind blown to go away from China thinking, absolutely, I've got to get back into this. Where would you go in those five days? Show me. I mean, obviously, we're going to show them things like, okay, go to Shenzhen. Take a look. Take mm, a look at yeah, the definitely. Blah, 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 all those kind of things. Take a look at the skyline. That's, that's a day there. What else would you do for them? Yeah, I mean, so so it's I, I, that that's that's a really um, interesting question because um, I'm because to be honest, like people come to visit me here in Beijing, and I'm a horrible tour guide. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I mean, I definitely I would say that Shenzhen Shenzhen is a place where um, I think that that people that I've encountered who are experiencing China for the first time, that's really where they seem to to be very energized. Um, I mean, I definitely, I mean, I would say definitely you have to come to Beijing and you have to go to Shanghai. I mean, mm. at the very least to kind of get a sense of how different China actually is. Um, Beijing, Shanghai, you know, the three biggest cities in the country are all very, very, very different. Mm. Um, they're different, different layout, different, almost different languages, um, very different cultures, uh, different cuisines, um, different skylines, um, all sorts of things. Um, and then I would say, you know, go to a place like uh, like Chengdu or or Chongqing, somewhere kind of in central China. Um, again, it's just going to be completely different. The 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 environment's going to be different. Um, the language is going to be different. The cuisine, everything is going to be very very different. And you can see that also in terms of technology, there's some interesting things um, going on there. Um, but yet Hangzhou as well. I mean, Hangzhou, I mean, it's the, it's the headquarters of Alibaba. Um, there's a lot of interesting kind of smaller startups kind of getting started down there. Uh, but it's also just a beautiful city. Um, my wife, my wife and I, when she was pregnant with our son, uh, we took our daughter down there and it was just phenomenal. Um, mm. right. They were actually some of the, fir- one of the first cities in China to have, uh, a government government uh bike rental program right um and it's funny because a lot of a lot of municipalities in china were trying to copy that uh, and then and then of course ofo and uh, and mobike come along um uh, for fortuitously um but yeah i mean you know there's there's the typical kind of touristy stuff i mean the great wall i mean there's certain sections of the great wall they're just breathtaking um scary at certain points depending on if you're coming up or going down um I would say in, in terms of cuisine, at least, I mean, you have to try hot pot, especially spicy, spicy Sichuan hot pot. So go to Chengdu and have that. That's, um, it's an intense experience. Um, but yeah, I, just, I mean, so for the, for the, I would, I would say try, try to see as much of China as possible because in, in, and I don't think you can do it in three days and you certainly, no. maybe you can do it in five. Um, but there's, as you were saying before, I mean, I think that 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 there is this sense that a lot of people have that China is some monolithic, homogenous mm. um, area. Um, 
And it's and it's it's definitely not. I mean, like if you're if you're from the states and you have a good understanding of of kind of what the states is like, uh, or if you've been there and kind of traveled around, I mean, I mean, the states I would say in some ways is probably a bit more homogenous these days than China is. Wow. Um, which is which is why the central government is is um, as as uh, um, as heavy handed as they are sometimes, and how uh, paranoid they can be about certain certain phenomena. But I mean, China. I mean, it is very much pockets of of, of different languages, different cultures. Um, so I would say if you have like one day in each city, um, so Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen, um, Kunming, and Chengdu, probably. Wow. Those those would be the five places, like one 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 city each day. Um, to be honest, I've never actually been to Kunming, um, but again, it's just it's a completely different area of China. I mean, it's right on the border of um, of uh, Vietnam and Laos, mm, I think, mm. if I have my geography correct. Um, and so it's it's more like Southeast Asia, than it is than it is like anywhere else in China. Um, but I mean, Xiamen is 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 phenomenal. I spent I spent uh, there for for Spring Festival. It's right across the strait from Taiwan, and so they speak they speak you know almost the the Taiwanese version of of Mandarin. And wow. Taiwan is amazing too. Yeah, that was a tough question. <laughs> like, oh, sorry, I meant you five have one weeks. hour city. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there are tools that probably do that. I think it's amazing. I mean, you know, anybody who's interested, just get a backpack and just show up, you know. I mean, literally, yes, exactly. you could do that. It's that easy. And there's always people, I mean, people like John, in, in you know, in these cities, there are expats you can plug into as well. So don't be afraid that you're just going to show up and, you know, you're going to be in a different universe. You're not. There are always ways of plugging in. There's meetup events and so on. Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that itinerary that you've just sort of scrabbled together is phenomenal. I mean, you know. I, I'm excited already. I'm, I've decided as well, John, that I'm going to, my, my son's 12 years old now. Nice. And um, I'm sort of, I'm always very conscious about the future and, um, you know, like what sort of world it's going to be for him when he grows up. And one of the things I want to do is next time we go to Hong Kong, because we fly to Hong Kong a lot, um, you know, in and out of Asia, is that mm. when I get to Hong Kong, I get the express train to Shenzhen, where I think it's like 14 minutes yeah. or whatever. And then just show him, because he's, he's never been to mainland China, but just show him a bit of Shenzhen, because he's into technology and computers and all that. And, mm. you know, this is it. This is what it looks like. I mean, without sort of telling him, oh, I want to show you the future, but, uh, you know, just get him a feeling that this is going to be an important part of the world when, you know, he's 20 years old, right? Just right, show right. him that and get excited about it. And I suppose, you know, when you start talking about, oh, they've got a lot of computer parts there, like, yeah, I'm in, you know, it's like... I can get a keyboard, a mouse, a mouse that glows. Right. I'll be there. Right. So yeah. I, I think, you know, for us older people as well, it, it's so important just to go and see because like John said, it's not one homogenous market and there's so many different yeah. aspects to it. and There's so much to learn. I think we're all learning. So thank you for sharing with us today, John. It's been a real privilege. I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed learning about China because, you know, I suppose if anybody's going to share with us what they know and it's been worth knowing, it's John Artman. That's John Artman, everybody. He's the editor-in-chief of Technode and co-host of China Tech Talk. So, John, thank you for coming on the show today. Where can we find out more about you? Um, there's a whole load of links. As you say, you've got so many projects going on. Yeah. Where's the starting point? So, so yeah, I would say definitely uh, technode.com. So that's the, uh, the English, so our English website. I'm the, uh, the managing editor, editor in chief there. Um, you won't see much of me there, but, um, 
but uh, I'm, I'm kind of in the background um, coordinating everything. Uh, Chinatechtalk.com, that's another place. And I would say, you know, find me, find me on WeChat as well. Um, you can, it's the same thing, it's the same as my Twitter handle, uh, knows nothing. You can add me on WeChat. Um, that's really kind of where the most interesting conversations are, are actually happening. Um, and, and I would say that, you know, I'm not, I'm not, to be honest, I'm not much one for social media. So if you really want to talk to me, you know, give me a call, buy me a cup of coffee and, uh, I'll talk your ear off. He's old school. Hey, John, <laughs> thanks for your time today. Really enjoyed it. It's, it's so, so educational and informative and fun learning about your journey as well. And please come back on. I'd love to have you back on the show and, you know, just give us an update. Definitely. You know, because it, it's been fascinating and I'm learning as well. So, you know, I think six months up the road, it'd be good to know that, you know, what's going on in China. Keep us updated. Keep us posted on the latest, not just in China, but also in China Tech Talk and what's going on in Techno. That's John Hartman, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.